0: Welcome back to the Dark Side. I'm your host Brianna. Dyson is here. Hello. And this is Dark Adaptation. Welcome to episode 22. Yay. We're here. Tutu.
1: We're here. We're talking.
0: It's a podcast. Yeah. I thought we should start with our exciting news.
1: What is our exciting news? It is... Uh, uh, we got patches. Yo,
0: yeah, yo, yeah, yeah. We got yeah.
1: sick patches, like really nice quality ones too.
0: They're so nice.
1: Designed with our logo.
0: Yeah, the logo that you made. And we had put it on social media a little bit ago. Yeah. And it's so pretty and it, it the quality is like mwah.
1: yeah you can i want to get i want to get like a jean jacket now just, just to, to iron it on i really do and i was when we were a giant tiger i was when we were looking <laughs> at hats i was debating whether i wanted to iron it on but <gasps> oh! i feel like i feel like if i did it would crease the front of the hat nah. so i was worried about it but i don't know but yeah they're they're gorgeous
0: yeah they're yeah. beautiful that's our it's our newer logo that we made the the crescent moon and the pink like bubbly text that says dark adaptation podcast and then it has little stars and the pink on the outside and it's just so pretty
1: yeah and the stars are are each person's favorite color yeah for our podcast yeah so we've got me you we've got steph steph we've got one Paige for Paige. when she comes on as well yeah so she's, she'll
0: be on in june
1: yeah she's doing an episode and then we've got one for kobe
0: for kobe he's he's our boss he's the sun he's he's our star who
1: happens to be a cat
0: yeah yeah but also my son mm-hmm. he's my he's my little fur baby i don't care if people are like ugh, cringe fur baby he is he's my son. cringes
1: at fur baby get a life <laughs>
0: so <know. laughs> much more
1: cringy shit out there
0: like so yeah gas
1: prices <laughs> oh lord
0: no shit it's fucked yeah i feel like ontario's goal is to get to three dollars we're working there we're
1: open for business baby
0: (laughs) but yeah we got patches we are still gonna work on putting them up like a little shop for them and stuff yeah so make sure you follow us on like instagram twitter facebook and stuff where we'll have all of our updates and Mm -hmm. then um yeah if you like dig the show because i know we got a few listeners we have one or two Mm -hmm. uh just Buy a patch, support a little, a good little pod who. Little
1: indie pod. Little
0: indie pod who delivers you good content. I mean, come on. Yeah, you know what I want to
1: do? I want to get like an. If I do get that like jean jacket, I think I'm just going to load it up with indie podcasts. Oh! Uh, yeah, how cool would that be?
0: Spoils of horror, make a patch.
1: Yeah, make a patch. We also debated having a bumper sticker. Oh, that which I, would be we, fun. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but, we were going to do stickers and then because i have my jean jacket that is just loaded with patches i love patches they're they last a while they're really good quality they're iron on so the back has that like material so that if you have an iron you just Mm -hmm. heat that bad boy up you're, you're set
1: yeah we we went with that it was an extra option but i was like damn it we're going we're doing that and then like a really nice like i don't know what the real i forget what the there's a technical term but like the embroidery on the sides to make it like a really durable really like you feel it and you're like this has some like good weight to it and it's it's a solid well-stitched patch yeah yeah so
0: we'll post pictures we'll keep you updated but yeah yeah support support your boy support your girl yeah dark adaptation podcast represent
1: yeah we'll put it up on our shop when we have one for uh either our website or for uh, facebook or instagram yes yeah. you can do both
0: We'll figure it out. We're just excited and we want to tell you, even though we don't have all of the little things figured out yet, we just want to tell you because yeah. it is so exciting and they're so beautiful and everyone should buy one. Thank you.
1: <laughs> they are really dope, though. I love them.
0: All right. So this week, um, it's going to be part one of two. We did release a May schedule and next week was going to be Robert Raymond Cook, but this one, of course, in my typical fashion, I did a lot more research than I ever mean to. Well, not that I mean to, but I just so much information. Mm-hmm. So and we have been so busy with work um, for work. We have an upcoming conference. So we'll be gone for like the whole week, pretty much. Yep. So I just won't be able to do the like the quality of research that I like to do. So this one, we're just going to s- split it up. It'll be two-parter. It'll come out. um, Second part will come out next week, which is what? May 30th? I think so. May 30th. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we'll push Robert. We're going to push Robert Raymond Cook till the first week of June. But make sure that you listen to both parts. Stay tuned for part two, because since that will come out on May 30th, that will be the last episode of the month. So at the end of that episode, we'll be picking the topics for June. Mm-hmm. So, oh, that's also a good reminder for everyone listening to send us case suggestions. Yeah. Because then we can shout you out if we end up picking your recommendation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah, I just wanted to give a little heads up about that. This will be a two parter. Part one of a deep dive into the, what are we covering this week, Dyson? The
1: Halifax Explosion.
0: The Halifax Explosion, a Canadian disaster that occurred at the Halifax Harbor when a French cargo ship laden with high explosives collided with a Norwegian vessel on the morning of December 6th, 1917. Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about. Wow. We're gonna dive right in. Oh yeah. And of course, We're going to start with some history and some background info.
1: Love it. Hit me with it.
0: Halifax Harbour is a large natural harbour on the Atlantic coast of Nova Scotia, Canada. Halifax largely owes its existence as a city to the harbor. Since it's one of the largest and deepest ice-free natural harbors in the world, it's been used for hundreds of years by all types of ships.
1: Hmm.
0: Halifax Harbor is situated between Dartmouth, which is on the east, and Halifax on the west. Oh, yeah. Halifax and Dartmouth had thrived during times of war. Specifically, the American Revolution, the Napoleonic Wars, and the War of 1812.
1: Right. Ships, apparently, are important during war.
0: <laughs> and that's, right. Mainly due to its location, since it's the far, on the far Atlantic coast. Yeah. It was just...
1: Not easy to reach.
0: Well, like, no, to it, thri- attack. it thrived. It like, thrived. to attack it, I
1: mean. <laughs> during war times, because
0: all these people are coming in. Yeah. It's, like, right there. It's a little port town. Yeah. City. Port City. The harbor was one of the British Royal Navy's most important bases in North America and acted as a center for wartime trade and a home to privateers who defended against the British Empire's enemies during wartimes. Mm -hmm. Between 1815 and the early 1900s, the area went in waves of success and development because 1815 is when the War of 1812 ended. And so, like, they would go in waves because they'd have success with increased, like, steam, 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 oh my
1: god. Steamships?
0: With increased steamship trade. And then they would go into, like, um, the waves of economic downturn because mm. they were like sh- struggling to compete with businesses that were more in central Canada. Right. So they just went in these waves of like, oh, we're doing so well. Oh my God, we're declining. In 1910, the Canadian government took over the harbour's dockyard, making it command centre of the Royal Canadian Navy. Since at this point, the British garrison had left. So then World War I broke out. Mm. And the Royal Canadian Navy didn't have any seaworthy ships of its own.
1: Wow. So
0: the British Royal Navy had to come back to Canada and assume responsibility for like maintaining the atlantic trade routes by readopting halifax as its base of operations because they're like shit we shouldn't have left since we didn't know you did not have your shit together and also oops we didn't know world war one would happen (laughs) yeah (laughs) but they were like okay we'll help you but you the royal canadian navy you can still manage the harbor but we'll supply everything that's important to the harbor yeah that makes sense so, convoys carried men, animals, and supplies to Europe to aid in war efforts. Mm-hmm. The two main points of departure were Sydney on Cape Breton Island and Halifax. Hospital ships brought the wounded to Halifax, so a new military hospital was constructed, and it was called Camp Hill.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The success of German U-boat attacks on ships crossing the Atlantic Ocean led the allies to institute a convoy system which would help reduce the losses while transporting goods and soldiers to Europe. Yeah. So basically like merchant ships or p- passenger ships or whatever they if they gathered at Bedford Basin which is like the end of the harbor mm-hmm. on the northwestern side they were all protected by two sets Of anti-submarine nets, and it was also guarded by patrol ships on Mm -hmm. the Royal Canadian Navy.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's what U-boats are guys. By the way, they're like little submarines. Oh yeah, yeah, they like they like they're like a ship, and then all of a sudden they're like dive, 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 (laughs) and they're like, and then they go underwater, and then uh, they get a little periscope and they shoot a little torpedo, and then that's the end of you. Yeah. That
0: was a really good description.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. I, really, did I take you there. Oh yeah, you did. Yeah, Das Boot. Oh, what? It's a good, uh, it's a good uh, movie about it. It's <laughs> it's a night. It's nightmare fuel if you guys ever look into it because they were really, really, really good at sinking ships, and they mm-hmm. were like Germany's best asset in World War II. Mm-hmm until everyone caught on that the way to catch them is you fly a plane over top and then they became the most casual like their entire german fleet got decimated i think like two two survived wow and like one i think one of them like not like two or like a handful and then one of them like uh the crew just like heard nazi germany was falling so they just fled to um austria i think and they just ground their ship up onto the shore and like fucked off
0: was this world war Two?
1: this was world war Two. i know they had the u-boats during world war one as yeah, well this yeah this is all about
0: world war one but yeah. yeah so at least it, at least they caught on took until world war Two, but they did yeah so in world war one which is, what, I was, which is um, what i'm mostly talking about here just because we're the mm-hmm. ta- the explosion was in 1917 mm-hmm. um yeah the like you said, the U-boats, which are submarines, were very good at what they did. Yeah. So to protect all of the ships, they had like they in implemented these anti-submarine nets. They had all of these other bigger ships that would protect the the um, vessels that were carrying like the shit they needed, people and supplies and stuff. Mm-hmm. So the convoys departed under the protection of British cruisers and destroyers, and a large army garrison protected the city with forts, gun batteries, and more anti-submarine nets. Mm-hmm. World War One led to a huge military, industrial, and residential expansion of the city, because mm-hmm. there were so many fucking people coming in and out, because this was like prime access for especially allied ships mm-hmm. in the harbor so the and the weight of goods passing through the harbor increased significantly because there was so much stuff coming in and then that led to the population of halifax and dartmouth combined to increase to about like somewhere between 60 and sixty-five thousand people by 1917 and I was looking for well, what was the population before? Mm-hmm. And I only found the, um, the most recent one before 1917 that I could find was from 1881, and oh, wow. the population was 13,000.
1: Okay, yeah. so that's um, not that much of a like. It's obviously a course of time, but like puts it in perspective. They there was a boom.
0: A huge boom, yeah, Yeah. because like I said, well,
1: there was two huge booms.
0: Oh, (laughs) there was a increase, a major increase because of the war, and like I had said before, the area was going through like these influx, like ups and downs with success and people leaving to go to better um, businesses, companies in central Canada and stuff. So, Mm -hmm. World War One, they were like, "Holy shit!" Sixty up to sixty five thousand people here. Yeah. So that was uh, by nineteen seventeen, and. In 1917, there was a giant naval fleet in Halifax. And there was patrol ships, tugboats, even minesweepers. Plus, obviously, there was a ton of additional vessels, like neutral ships, cargo ships, whatever. So mm-hmm. this harbor was fucking bumping. Yep. There was people in and out all the time. Uh, something cool is that all neutral ships bound for ports in North America were re- required to report to Halifax first for inspection. Oh, and then before world war one ships carrying dangerous cargo weren't allowed into the harbor because like obviously yeah like we can't risk anything happening but because the german submarines were so good at what they did and the risk that they posed was so huge Mm -hmm. during world war one they started to relax the regulations And just to keep the flow of everything going, they were like, whatever. Just even if you're carrying fucking (laughs) dangerous cargo, like maybe explosives. Yeah. It's fine. Just come on. Let's go. We got to
1: keep this going. Yeah. This is a war. We're all taking risks here. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So navigating into or out of Bedford Basin, which is on the Halifax side of the harbor and it's the end, like the entrance, I guess. Mm-hmm. um it required passage through a strait called the narrows and the ships were expected to keep really close to starboard which is the right side of the channel mm-hmm. and that's how you would pat like pass on uh, um, oncoming vessels you wanted to be port to port so your left sides were touching just like you were in traffic oh, okay stick to the right that's how you should be navigating this channel
1: okay so it's like a little roadway
0: yeah, yeah. and ships were restricted to a speed of five knots Within the harbor. Five knots for my fellow Canadians is 9.3 kilometers. Hello, Americans. (laughs) 5.8 miles per hour.
1: (laughs) Hello, Americans. Hello, Americans. Are you guys fine?
0: Are you fine? (laughs) So, ta-da! There's some history for you. Mm. Just touch on a few things. Give everyone a little bit of perspective. Know the area we're dealing with. Yeah. Some key information that... like. When it comes up later, you're like, oh, okay, thank God for that history lesson because now I know what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, also, how are you going to know about the Halifax explosion if you don't know what Halifax is?
0: (laughs) The Halifax Harbor, at least.
1: Yeah. Hello, Americans.
0: A Norwegian ship, SS Imo, had sailed through the Netherlands en route to New York to take on relief supplies for Belgium under the command of Captain Hakon From.
1: Hmm.
0: Probably said that wrong. Wrong. It's Akan. Akon <laughs> From. The ship arrived in Halifax on December 3rd for a neutral inspection and spent two days in Bedford Basin, part of the Halifax Harbor. Remember history. And they were, waiting, um, they were awaiting refueling supplies. On December 5th, SS IMO received clearance to leave the port, but departure was delayed because her coal load didn't arrive until the late afternoon. So they had to stay the night because loading fuel takes hours, especially if you're like running on empty and you have this huge ship.
1: Yeah. Imagine filling your gas gas tank up and it takes like five minutes, but there's some guy holding the pump. He's gotta be there all night.
0: Oh. <laughs> so by the time they were done, uh, because it took hours and it didn't come till the afternoon, the anti submarine nets had been raised for the night, so they were were not able to depart till the next morning. Mm. So French cargo ship SS Mont Blanc arrived from New York late that night, December 5th, under the command of Mr. Le Medec. No, oh. the vessel was fully loaded with TNT. Nice, which is highly explosive.
1: Yes, I've heard that.
0: Picric acid and benzol, which is highly flammable. Oh, uh, benzol is a very flammable. Very, very flammable fuel. Yeah, <laughs> TNT and highly flammable fuel.
1: <laughs> Put a lid on it. Put a lid over it.
0: <laughs> so SS Mont Blanc. Uh, she intended to join a slow convoy gathering in Bedford, Bedford Basin, uh, readying to depart for Europe, but was too late to enter the harbor before the nets were raised. So Francis Mackey, an experienced harbor pilot, boarded Mont Blanc that evening and, and asked about you know, special protections since the cargo in the ship was so sensitive
1: mm-hmm.
0: and was like, you'll have to wait outside Bedford Basin. Uh, But, yeah, is there any protection here, just in case it gets a little bit more busy? Mm -hmm. And they're like, no.
1: (laughs) All right. No.
0: (laughs) Just no. Listen, I thought regulations were laxed. I'm not protecting my cargo
1: you're lucky there's nets
0: <laughs> <laughs> the anti-submarine net between george's island and pier 21 opened for the morning and imo was granted clearance to leave bedford basin by signals from the guard ship hmcs acadia this was at approximately 7 30 in the morning so december 6th now uh with pilot william hayes on board now i was like why is there a pilot <laughs> yeah (laughs) uh, sorry this is despite if you remember from episode one we were joking about it being a nautical awareness podcast (laughs) 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 i still don't know shit about nautical anything Mm. so i was like why the hell is there a pilot on this ship yeah but i guess the captain is responsible for bringing the ship and its passengers safely into the port um but they're assisted by a very critical member of the team which is a harbor pilot Mm. and uh, also sometimes called a maritime pilot.
1: Right, yep.
0: But I'm just like, why call it a pilot then? Can't it just be like a maritime captain? (laughs) But no, there's only one captain.
1: There's only one captain. (laughs) There's a hierarchy, baby.
0: So Imo entered the Narrows well above the harbor's speed limit in attempt to make up for the delay. Oh, no. Since the anti-submarine net opened, ships were being cleared like that to enter the harbor all mm-hmm. right yeah it's open come on come on in tugboats cargo ships even american tramp steamer ss clara
1: <laughs> you guys had a tramp steamer huh
0: <laughs> again looked that up because i was like tramp steamer Ooh. but the slang of tramp is like drifter so a tramp steamer is just like a merchant ship that is doesn't have a schedule it doesn't have um, an itinerary, and they kind of just like roll up and trade to in harbors on the spot.
1: All right, so don't think like the tramps in the pickle park. Think of like Lady in the Tramp.
0: That's right. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> went right to pickle park <laughs>
0: by seven thirty a.m. Mont Blanc was cleared to enter the harbor. As IMO was going full steam ahead to leave Bedford Basin, uh, she meets up with SS Clara. A tramp steamer which is entering bedford basin but for some reason while she's entering she's being piloted up the wrong side of the harbor so the pilots on each vessel agreed to pass starboard to starboard Mm -hmm. right to right history lesson 101 you should be passing port to port yep and it was because they were like fuck we're hauling ass we're going way above the speed limit I don't have time to slow down. So they just quickly communicated. I'm just going to pass you. So they were like, yeah, whatever. Let's just go right, the right side of the ship. What's one time? Uh. But remember, other ships, including Mont Blanc, have been cleared to enter too. So they're not far behind mm-hmm. the, the tramp ship, SS Clara.
1: Yeah. It's becoming a party.
0: <laughs> Having passed ss clara imos sees the tugboat stella maris and has to pass her too so now imo being forced further towards the dartmouth shore which is the east side and that's because stella maris was traveling up the harbor near the mid channel so mm-hmm. now imos having to go like further and further in the wrong direction the captain of stella maris was a guy named horatio brannan he saw IMO approaching at excessive speed and ordered his ship closer to the Western shore to avoid an accident. Mm -hmm. Mont Blanc clueless of the fuckery up ahead headed towards Bedford basin on the Dartmouth side of the Harbor on the East side where she should have been And then pilot Francis Mackey was like just doing his job, being vigilant, looking around, watching for ferry traffic and other small boats because he's apparently the only one in this fucking place that knows how to navigate a channel. (laughs) And so he's like, what the hell is that up there? So about 1.21 kilometers ahead, he sees Imo and he's like really concerned as her path is appearing to line up right with his. It's going to come right into his ship's starboard side oh shit as if like to cut him off or just attempt to totally push him out of the way so mackie gave a short blast of his sh- ship's signal whistle to indicate that he had the right of way mm-hmm. because he did he's in the on the right side of the fucking <laughs> i was gonna say road
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> channel yeah
0: <laughs> but he, he was met with two short blasts from imo which meant imo was not going to yield its position Which probably more likely meant that it couldn't because it was hauling ass, Mm -hmm. driving like a fucking idiot, Mm -hmm. sailing like a fucking idiot. Piloting. Fucking hell. The captain ordered Mont Blanc to halt her engines and angle slightly to starboard closer to the Dartmouth side of the Narrows. He let out another single blast of his whistle, hoping that the other vessel would follow suit, but again was met with a double blast. Like, I'm not listening to you. Fuck off and get out of my way. Mm Mm-hmm. Sailors on nearby ships heard the, sig- the signal battle and realized a collision was imminent. So they were like, huh, let's all gather. Let's watch no. this. Let's watch this go down. This looks interesting. So they all gathered to watch as the IMO headed straight for Mont Blanc. At this point, both ships had cut their engines, but they're huge. So the momentum was just carrying them towards each other, mm-hmm. but it was at like a really slow speed. Oh, my God. Slowly drifting towards each other. And they were unable to ground their ships and worrying about setting off the explosives inside the Mont Blanc. Mackie ordered her to steer hard to port in a ditch effort to avoid a collision. Mm-hmm. And it was working. And the two ships were almost parallel to each other. So they would have just kind of slowly scooted right next to each other and everything would have been fine. Mm-hmm. But then suddenly, Imo sent out three signal blasts, which means that the ship was reversing its engines. So the combination of the cargo ship's height in the water and the traverse thrust of her right-hand propeller caused the ship's head to swing, and it hit Mont Blanc. So uh, Imo's prow pushed into the starboard side of Mont Blanc's cargo hold.
1: Mm-hmm
0: the cargo holds where there's a bunch of fucking TNT, benzyl fuel and picric acid. Yep. So the collision occurred at 8.45 AM. The damage to Mont Blanc was not severe. Oh. But on impact, the very slow impact. Yeah. Barrels of deck cargo fell and broke open. So this flooded the deck with benzyl. That quickly flowed down into the cargo hold. Oh, no. As Imo's engines kicked in, she disengaged, which created sparks inside of Mont Blanc's hall. Because they were like at like right up against each other. Yeah. With these sparks, that ignited the vapors from the benzol. So a fire started at the waterline and traveled quickly up the side of the ship. Mm-hmm. Surrounded by thick black smoke... And fearing she would immediately explode, the captain ordered the crew to abandon ship. At this point, like I said, a crowd of Halifax citizens were just gathered on the streets watching because they were like, oh, this is exciting. And others stood at the windows of their homes or their businesses, wherever they were in the area, Mm -hmm. to watch the fire. Because now they're like, oh, that collision was unfulfilling, but I think I see a fire. This is getting good. God. So there's a fuck ton of people watching. Yep. The frantic crew of Mont Blanc shouted from their two lifeboats to some of the other vessels that their ship was about to explode because they really felt that way because they knew fuel was leaking Mm -hmm. and they knew that in their cargo hold there was TNT. Right. But you're in a canal in the harbor with God knows how many other ships. Mm -hmm. So no one could hear what the hell they were saying. Yeah. Plus it's just at this point it's confusing. There's people who are like enjoying themselves watching like a nice little scene, a spectacle. Yeah. But then there's chaos coming from one ship, but everyone else in the water is confused. So everyone's just like, I don't Staring fucking even know where to look and what to do. Mm-hmm. So as the lifeboats made their way across the harbor to the Dartmouth side, the abandoned ship continued to drift, and it ended up breaching at Pier Six, which is near the foot of Richmond Street on the Halifax side. Okay. Towing. Two scows at the time of the collision, Stella Maris, one of the ships that Imo had passed, mm-hmm. re- she responded immediately to the fire, anchoring the barges and steaming back towards Pier 6 to spray the burning ship with the fire hose. The tug's captain, Horatio Brandon and his crew realized that the fire was too intense for their single hose, so they ended up backing off because it was just burning more and more. They approached, they were approached by a whaler from HMS High Flyer and later. Great name. I know. And later a steam pinnace. <laughs> <laughs> is that how you say it? Pinnace? It,
1: it's a pinnace.
0: It looks like pin ace, Pinnace. Steam pinnace. <laughs> That's
1: what it is now.
0: And later a steam pinnace belonging to HMCS Neob Nieube. Hmm. Captain Brandon and Albert Madison of Neob agreed to secure a line to Mont Blanc's stern to try and pull it away from the pier to avoid setting the pier on fire as well. The five-inch hawser initially produced was too small, and they sent out orders for a ten-inch hawser. A thick—it's a thick rope or like a cable for towing ships. Oh, okay. So, like, this is too small. We cannot move this ship. Go get a bigger one. Yeah. But then... The explosion occurred.
1: Oh, God. Fucking shit ton of TNT. Bunch of gawkers.
0: At 9.04 a.m., the blazing fire on the Mont Blanc was burning hotter and bigger and set off her cargo of high explosives. The ship was completely blown apart, and a powerful blast wave radiated away from the explosion at more than a 1,000 meters per second.
1: Oh, holy shit.
0: 3,300 feet. (laughs) Fuck. The center of the explosion was highly pressurized and had temperatures of... Five thousand degrees Celsius,
1: oh my which is God. nine
0: thousand degrees Fahrenheit. Yep. White hot shards of iron rained down on Halifax and Dar- Halifax and Dartmouth. <laughs> Mont Blanc's forward ninety millimeter gun, which is fifteen feet long, how yep. to look that up? It landed five point six kilometers north of the explosion site Holy near fuck. Albro Lake in Dartmouth, which. And its barrel was melted away. 5.6 kilometers or 3.5 miles. That's how intense this explosion was, that it launched a 15-foot gun.
1: Yeah. Those (laughs) things are huge.
0: Yeah, and they're heavy. Yep. The shank of Mont Blanc's anchor, weighing half a ton, landed 3.2 kilometers south of Armdale. Like... This explosion just.
1: <laughs> yeah. Sh- shit just went flying. Didn't matter it what it weighed.
0: It catapulted shit everywhere. Yep. A cloud of white smoke rose to at least 3,600 meters or 11,800 feet. The blast was felt as far away as Cape Breton. Guess how many kilometers away that is? Uh. 50? 207
1: holy tits
0: this blast was felt as far away as 207 kilometers
1: that's fucked
0: or 129 miles and prince edward island which is 180 kilometers or 110 miles away Mm -hmm. they also felt it yeah like an area of over 160 hectares 400 acres was completely destroyed by the explosion and the harbor floor was momentarily exposed by the volume of water that was displaced oh my god the harbor floor was exposed
1: yeah just launched all the water out
0: so you know what that means
1: oh yeah a tsunami. tsunami yeah
0: so they're dealing with a fire and then an explosion and then they're like oh fuck And a tsunami was formed by water surging in to fill the void. Yep. So it rose as high as 18 meters or 60 feet above the high water mark on the Halifax side of the harbor.
1: Oh, my God. And
0: Imo was carried onto the shore of Dartmouth by the tsunami. Holy shit insane
1: yeah that's that is insane
0: moment and you're just like it's pandemonium yeah there's an explosion so intense that a 15 foot gun lands almost six kilometers away Mm -hmm. and the, the floor of the harbor is exposed and then there's a tsunami that carries a ship onto the shore i have a
1: feeling anyone who survived the explosion and is close enough to get hit by the tsunami is already not having a very good time because they're probably deaf
0: well, yeah, we'll get into that. the the uh, This blast killed all but one of the w- of the whalers, everyone on the pinnace, and twenty one of the twenty six men on Stella Maris. Mm. She also ended up on the Dartmouth shore, severely damaged. Yep, just, ships were just like carried onto the fucking shore. The captain's son, first mate Walter Brandon for the Stella Maris, he had been thrown into the hold by the blast. So he actually survived. Oh. Along with four others. So some people didn't die who were right there. Yeah. Most of them did though. Yeah. All but one of the Mont Blanc crew members survived. So that was lucky. Mm Mm-hmm. Because all but one of the Mont Blanc crew members survived. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Over 1,600 people were killed instantly, and 9,000 were injured. More than 300 of these 9,000 people that were injured died later, sadly. Every building within a 2.6-kilometer radius, which was over 12,000 in total, was destroyed or badly damaged. Mm -hmm. Hundreds of people who had been watching the fire from their homes, were blinded when the blast wave shattered the windows in front of them.
1: Oh, God. Because it happened
0: so fast. Yep. And they were instantly blinded. Overturned stoves and lamps started fires throughout Halifax, particularly in the North End, where entire city blocks burned, trapping residents inside their houses. Firefighter Billy Wells who was thrown away from the explosion, had had his clothes torn from his body. And he described the devastation survivors faced. Quote, The sight was awful, with people hanging out of windows dead, some with their heads missing, and some thrown onto the overhead telegraph wires.
1: Ew. God.
0: He was the only member of the eight-man crew on the fire engine Patricia to survive because they were one of the first responders that were going to the site when the fire started Mm -hmm. and since the explosion was delayed he was the only only one to survive from that um brigade is that the right word i
1: don't Uh,
0: know from that crew
1: yeah from that crew from
0: those responders yeah large brick and stone factories near pier six such as the acadia sugar refinery disappeared into unrecognizable heaps of rubble and ultimately killing most of those who are working inside. Yeah. The Nova Scotia cotton mill, located 1.5 kilometers from the blast, was destroyed by fire and the collapse of its concrete floors. The Royal Navy College of Canada building was badly damaged and several cadets and instructors maimed. Yeah. The Richmond railway yards and station were destroyed, killing fifty five railway workers and destroying and damaging over five hundred railway cars. The North Street station, which is which at this point was one of the busiest in Canada, was badly damaged.
1: God, so like Halifax was also kind of just cut off from the world from that explosion. Too. Yes. Jesus.
0: The death toll uh, could have been worse had it not been for the self sacrifice of an intercolonial railway dispatcher, a guy named Patrick Vincent Coleman. So he was operating at the rail yard, which was really close to Pier Six, where the explosion had occurred. Mm-hmm. And he and his co worker, William Lovett, learned of the cargo that was inside and mm-hmm. how the ship was burning. So they heard this from a sailor that had was trying to flee. Mm -hmm. And so Coleman remembered that an incoming passenger train from St. John, uh, New Brunswick was due to arrive at the rail yard within minutes. Mm -hmm. So he returned to his post alone and he continued to send out urgent telegraph messages to stop the train. Mm -hmm. So there were several variations of the messages that um, have been reported, but, One from the Maritime Museum of the Atlantic says that the message he sent out was, quote, Hold up the train. Ammunition ship a fire in harbor, making for Pier 6, and will explode. Guess this will be my last message. Goodbye, boys. End quote.
1: (laughs) Goodbye, boys.
0: His messages were responsible for halting all incoming trains around Halifax. It was heard by other stations all along the Intercolonial Railway helping railway officials to respond immediately. Passenger train number 10, that overnight train that was due from St. John, mm-hmm. is believed to have heeded the warning and stopped a safe distance from the blast at Rockingham, saving the lives of about 300 railway passengers. Wow. All because he stayed back and was like, ah, "I got to do it." Yep. And he sent out messages to anyone that was going to be to be incoming and he um obviously i said self-sacrifice yeah he died yep. in the explosion but he saved three at least 300 people
1: it's a hell of a way to go
0: and he goodbye boys
1: i, I love that he's just like well wow.
0: guess this will be my last message goodbye boys yep that's that's a man right there yep Aspire, everyone should aspire more to be like Patrick Vincent Vince Coleman <laughs> <laughs> first rescue efforts came from surviving neighbors and co-workers who pulled and dug out victims from buildings The initial informal response was soon joined by surviving policemen, firefighters, and military personnel who began to arrive, as did anyone with a working vehicle, cars, trucks, delivery wagons, all kinds were enlisted to collect the wounded. Mm -hmm. A flood of victims soon began to arrive at the city's hospital, which were quickly overwhelmed. The new military hospital, Camp Hill, admitted approximately 1400 victims that's at one hospital yeah and that was just supposed to be a military hospital but they were like fuck well it is
1: now you fuckers you blew up ammunition
0: (laughs) (laughs) firefighters from all over halifax were among the first to respond to the disaster rushing to mont blanc to attempt to extinguish the blaze before the explosion even occurred Halifax Fire Department's West Street Station 2 was the first to arrive at Pier 6 with the crew of the Patricia, Mm. the first motorized fire engine in Canada. In the final moments before the explosion, hoses were being unrolled as the fire spread to the docks. Nine members of the Halifax Fire Department died in the explosion. Uh By the end of the day... Firefighters from as far away as Amherst, Nova Scotia, which was two hundred kilometers, one hundred and twenty miles, mm-hmm. and Moncton, New Brunswick, two hundred and sixty kilometers. They had arrived to help. Yeah. Royal Navy cruisers in port sent some of the first organized rescue parties ashore. HMS High Flyer, along with the armed merchant cruisers HMS Ch- Ch- Chang Changanola. <laughs> Yeah. HMS Knight Templar.
1: There you go. That's dope.
0: And HMS Calgarian. They sent boats ashore with rescue parties and medical personnel and soon began to take wounded um, on their ships. Mm -hmm. A U.S. Coast Guard cutter, USRC Moral, also sent a rescue party ashore. Out at sea, the American cruiser USS Tacoma and armed merchant cruiser USS von Steuben were passing Halifax en route to the United States. Tacoma was rocked so severely by the blast wave that her crew went to general quarters. Then, spotting the large and, like, quickly rising column of smoke, Tacoma altered course and arrived to assist in the rescue efforts.
1: I love how, like, whatever, like, some some shit goes down, like almost always ships go to mm-hmm. it to be like we're gonna help we're here to help yeah ship goes missing in like a terrible storm there's always stories of all the ships go searching still or like working with them mm-hmm. this fucking explosion they're like jesus christ yeah. no idea if there's a second coming they're like oh yeah, better head over that's
0: the thing yeah. they, they, don't, they don't know and even some of these ships that are responding like in this case to the tacoma mm-hmm. like they were so far out to sea that they didn't really know that they were rocked by an explosion at the time mm-hmm. but after they have like regained themselves like oh that's fucked yeah they look and they're just like oh shit there's a lot of smoke over there let's go and help mm-hmm. so yeah it's just like the camaraderie of like i'll oh, help my my fellow seamen.
1: gonna <laughs> <laughs> go help my boys <laughs>
0: So they arrived, uh, Tacoma arrived at about 2 p.m. to help, and then the uh, Von Steuben arrived half an hour later. So they also went to help. The American steamship Old Colony. Had docked in Halifax for repairs earlier that day, mm. but had suffered little damage, surprisingly. No, oh. and uh, they were that ship was quickly converted to serve as a hospital ship, yep. and it was it uh, was staffed by doctors and orderlies from the British and American Navy vessels in the harbor. Mm-hmm. So it's just the action is like immediate and so quick of people like, what are you? What do you do for a living? What are your credentials? What do you do? What do you do? Do you have space? And everyone was just like. I got it. I got it. I got it. And they just went to work and like found a place to set up shop for, to help Mm
1: -hmm. Canadians, eh? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Dazed survivors immediately feared that the explosion was the result of a bomb dropped from a German plane.
1: Yeah.
0: Troops at gun batteries and barracks immediately turned out in case the city was under attack. But within an hour, they switched from defense to rescue roles because it it started to spread what the cause and the location of the explosion was. Mm -hmm. So as it was determined, they were like, "Okay, thank God we weren't bombed, but also woof. Yeah. So all available troops were called in from harbor uh, fortifications and barracks to rescue survivors and provide transport to the city's hospital. Adding to the chaos uh, were fears of a potential second explosion. Mm hmm. A cloud of steam shot out of ventilators at the ammunition magazine at Wellington Barracks as naval personnel extinguished a fire uh, by the magazine. Mm -hmm. The fire was quickly put out. The cloud was seen from blocks away. And then that quickly led to rumors that another explosion was imminent. Yeah. So uniformed officers ordered everyone away from the area. They're like, listen, did you not learn anything? Yeah. You fucking looky-loose.
1: Fool me once.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Get... Away from here, okay? Yep. So as the rumors just started to spread across the city, uh, thankfully that is not, like, I don't even know if thankfully is the right word, but because the rumor started to spread that there might be a second explosion, that's really only the reason that people finally started to flee the area. Yeah. Otherwise they just wanted to check out the chaos.
1: Yeah, they just wanted to see all the shittery that just happened.
0: Exactly. The confusion hampered efforts for over two hours until fears were dispelled by about noon that there hopefully it wouldn't be a second explosion. Mm-hmm. Like listen, it's probably fine. Just
1: yeah, go yeah. away. Just another ammunition magazine on fire. It's fine.
0: It's and cool. yeah, and that was like the um uniformed officers that were like everyone needs to clear the area. Everybody get out of here. But most uh rescuers especially because they were like volunteers at this point they ignored the evacuation orders and they just continued working uninterrupted at the harbor yeah well good
1: luck stopping them right it's their community you could
0: tell me that there's an explosion or there isn't a second explosion or there isn't at this point i really don't care because there's people who need help
1: and also i'm so fucking close to this no way i'm surviving it anyway right yeah
0: Surviving railway workers in the rail yards at the heart of the disaster carried out rescue work. So even though God knows how many of their employees, co-workers, whatever, just fucking died. I think it was like 55. Mm -hmm. They're like, well, let's go. I'm here to help. So they started pulling people from the harbor. They started moving debris and pulling people from under the debris. The overnight train um, that I had mentioned that was coming from St. John that uh, was approaching the city, they managed to stop just in time. So the damage that they received from the blast was was only minimal. It was just slight. Mm -hmm. Um, So it continued into Richmond until the track was blocked by wreckage. So they were Mm -hmm. like, well, shit. Like, even though we thought it was maybe safe now to get in, literally we can't. Because this explosion launched shit up to six kilometers.
1: Yeah, it's fucking scorched earth as we get here, yeah.
0: So the passengers um, that were on board, and some of the passengers were also soldiers, they used the emergency tools from the train and just got out and they started to help rescue people they started to use the tools to dig people out of houses um they used the first aid stuff on the train to start bandaging people up mm-hmm. they used sheets from the sleeping cars as bandages if they ran out of other stuff mm-hmm. and the train was loaded with injured people and left the city at one thirty with a doctor aboard to evacuate the wounded to truro mm-hmm. so everyone is just so lovely and helpful yeah Leading citizens formed an emergency committee called the Halifax Relief Commission at noon. So they were like, oh, fuck. (laughs) All this is happening on like the same day. People are like, let's go to the Halifax Relief Commission. And um, Lieutenant Governor McCallum Grant led their efforts. The committee organized members in charge of medical relief for both Halifax and Dartmouth, supplying transportation, food, and shelter, and, and covering medical and funeral costs for victims. Mm. The Halifax Relief Commission actually continued until 1976. Oh. Uh, participating in reconstruction and relief efforts and later distributing pensions to the survivors.
1: Okay, all right. I was imagining, I'm like, they're still cleaning up rubble and shit? Get out of here. No.
0: (laughs) So yeah, men and women, they showed up to serve where they were needed. So you had people showing up to help as hospital aides. They showed up at shelters to help staff that. And they even had children contributing to the relief effort and they were carrying messages from site to site.
1: Oh, that makes sense. So they're yeah. just like little pigeons. Yeah. Well, I mean, all the other <laughs> pigeons are dead. Yeah. They...
0: <laughs> <laughs> they were obliterated. They were
1: found 40 kilometers. <laughs> 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 just beaks.
0: <laughs> Ew. I was picturing. Sorry, I, started I was picking... waiting
1: for that to hit you. Because
0: I was, I was just trying to get the images of baby pigeons out of my head. And so I hard. haven't
1: seen a baby pigeon. That's, that's so the strangest weird. thing. It's the strangest thing. It's the strangest <laughs> thing. Okay.
0: Community facilities like the Young Men's Christian Association
1: um YMCA. Gotcha, thank you.
0: Did you know that that's what it stood for?
1: No, I did not.
0: I didn't either. Young Men's Christian Young Association. Mhm. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
1: yeah. That's real funny that it stands for that now. (laughs) Fascinating. Yeah, you learn something new every day.
0: So yeah, the, the Young Men's Christian Association, or all of the YMCAs, they were rapidly converted to emergency hospital facilities with medical students providing care.
1: That's fucking handy right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Rescue trains were dispatched from across Atlantic Canada, as well as the Northeastern United States. The first left Truro around 10 a.m. carrying medical personnel and supplies. It arrived in Halifax by noon and returned to Truro with wounded and homeless by 3 p.m. So they were mm. hauling ass. Like, mm-hmm. get in and out. Let's go. Let's save these people. Let's help. Remember, the track had become impassable after Rockingham. So to reach the wounded, rescue personnel had to walk through parts of the devastated city until they reached a point where the military had begun to clear the streets. Mm-hmm. It's kind of crazy to think that it's it's during World War One, it's war yep. times, but like it was just a fucking horrible accident that caused this explosion. But the city looks like it was leveled by war. Yeah, it's like, it's like a war zone.
1: I was gonna say walking through that city would have been traumatic in its own right.
0: Of course. Yeah. All those dead pigeons. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> There's just shadow. Shadow marks on the wall, birds <laughs> <laughs> just blowed away.
0: I well, love that's what I'm picturing. Meanwhile, there was a quote from uh, one of the only surviving firefighters
1: with bodies hanging out of the window, headless. Yeah, and in the power lines. Yeah. Oh god. Um,
0: telegraph. Telegraph,
1: <laughs> telegraph line, sorry. lines. Sorry. Yeah.
0: By nightfall, a dozen trains had reached Halifax from the Nova Scotian towns of Truro, Kentville, Amherst, Sellerton, Pictou, and Sydney, and from New Brunswick, cities of Moncton, St. John, and the town of Sackville. So tons of people were coming in to help. Mm-hmm. On the morning of the disaster, a mortuary committee was quickly formed at Halifax City Hall by alderman R.B. Coldwell. That's so depressing, but it had to happen because of how many people were killed. Yeah. But just being like, oh, you know, I just chair the mortuary committee. Ooh. The Chabukto Road School, which I guess is still standing, but now it's the Maritime Conservatory of Performing Arts. Ritzy. So this is in Halifax's West End. This was chosen as the Central Morgue.
1: Ooh. A
0: company of the Royal Canadian Engineers repaired and converted the basement of the school to serve as a morgue and classrooms to serve as offices for the Halifax coroner. Right. Trucks and wagons soon began to arrive with bodies. Colonel Arthur S. Barnstead took over from Coldwell as the morgue went into operation and implemented a system to carefully number and describe the bodies. Now, this system was actually based on the system developed by his own father, John Henry Barnstead, which he used to identify the Titanic victims. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. It was a specific system he made when the bodies and survivors and all types of different shit started coming into Halifax Yeah. after the Titanic sank. So to, to identify and carefully, um, you know, label essentially the bodies, he made a system. Yeah. And nice. so he used that system on all of these bodies that were coming in.
1: Oh, handy. It's like a Dewey Decimal System, but darker.
0: <laughs> so much darker. It's like a Dewey Decimal System, but dead. dead. <laughs> <laughs> okay so as if this entire scenario isn't chaotic enough Mm
1: -hmm.
0: like literally name it you name it it's happening here there's just fuckery all over well relief efforts were hampered the following day by a blizzard that blanketed halifax with 16 inches of heavy snow
1: Oh my god, that is the last thing I want. Because mm-hmm. everyone wants to be out there helping, but then your hands go numb and shit.
0: Yep. So the trains that were, like, really making pace, they were like, we are here to help. Mm-hmm. Those trains en route from other parts of Canada and the United States were stalled in snowdrifts. And telegraph lines that had been hastily repaired following the explosion were immediately knocked down again. Oh, fuck. Halifax was so isolated by the storm and rescue committees were forced to suspend the search for survivors. Yeah. So like you had said, like, oh man, this place must feel like so isolated yep. and it did. But then you have all these people who are like, it's fine. Like we're going to do everything we can to come and help you. Yeah,
1: well, and they, then you get
0: a freak snowstorm. Yeah. They
1: fucking fought and clawed their way back into halifax to be like we're here to help like even walk through the fucking city and then it's like
0: then you get psych snowstorm and 16 inches yeah heavy snow
1: that's a halifax snowstorm right there oh yeah that fucks
0: up your already messed up train tracks you have like who god knows who that like repaired these um telegraph lines Uh, like
1: that's amazing. Uh, yeah. That it
0: happened that quickly and then the snowstorm takes them she out. Takes it right out, yeah. So there is like a little bit of a silver lining though, and that is that all of the snow from the storm helped put out fires that were still raging all over the city. Yeah. So that is good, but you know, there's still that's <laughs> Yeah, people that needed the 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 rescue efforts that needed the incoming trains to yeah. Get to I would have safety. taken the
1: I would have taken the fires because they're trying to pull people out of rubble. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, since that is a semi-positive note, just a tiny little bit of a silver lining, mm-hmm. I think that is where we will leave it for now. Okay. We will leave it for now for part one, and we will come back next week for part. Two. Mm-hmm. and that will that will conclude the episode
1: yeah picking up from the chaos yeah yeah
0: yes 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 <laughs> um also like make sure that you come back to hear part two because then at the end of um that episode we'll pick june's we're gonna pick the schedule for june mm-hmm. and um we already have some stuff picked out but yeah just make sure that you tune in mmm for June's schedule, stay tuned for information about our patches.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Follow we'll us keep, on we'll social keep you media. Patched in on that.
0: Oh, we'll keep you patched in on information about our patches. Yeah. Follow us on social media on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, because that's where you can see our patches and follow along with our progress there. Mm-hmm. And wherever you're listening right now, can you please just uh, rate the show? yeah leave a quick little review if possible but otherwise a nice little five star rating is so helpful yeah and even if you just share the show with one friend that's also really helpful
1: yeah it helps us grow
0: it helps us grow a
1: little indie podcast out
0: yeah so make sure that you come back next week for part two thank you everyone for tuning in Mm -hmm. we'll catch you on the dark side bye I heard a weird sound.
1: I did too. I think my computer was loading.
0: Your, what, did your computer just send a fax? <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, wait. I'm reading it here. It says, are we doing duplicate billing?
0: <laughs> <laughs> are we doing duplicate billing? The ship was completely blown apart and a powerful blast wave... The ship was completely blown apart the ship was complete.
1: <laughs> Kobe comes into the room and you're just immediately like, what? Oh.
0: <laughs> I'm flustered, Kobe. Oh, my God. Don't look at me.
1: Oh, Kobe. Come on. Tommy's like, down.